Our civilization in the West is dying. The West used to be a bastion of democracy and freedom. Now that is gone, people should be really worried. What is happening is that a global tyranny of really a combination of socialist, fascist policies are being implemented by the no longer democratic West and the rest of the world. And we're in for a very rough time. That is what's leading to new dark age. I always believe there is hope. I always believe that all regimes topple over. This one will as well, but when will it? The more people who are aware, the more people fight back. And that is where we get the hope from. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. Sorry, it's been a while. I've been away doing some traveling and I did have another episode recorded, which I'd hoped to publish. But unfortunately there was a lot of technical issues with that one. And I ended up having to scrap the episode. So I'll try to set that one up again in the future. But for this episode, I have Karen Haradine. Karen is an anthropologist and freelance writer, writing on politics, supranational organizations, culture wars, geopolitical and religious conflicts, COVID-19, climate alarmism and anti-Semitism. She's done loads of writing for The Conservative Woman, which I really highly recommend you guys check out. And she's got a Substack as well. I had absolutely no preconceptions going into this one. I was just going to keep it open and talk about whatever came to the fore. And we ended up talking about a whole array of different things, all related to Karen's area of expertise and journalism. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. As always, if you do, make sure you give the episode a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, go ahead and give it a five-star rating on whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, welcome. Make sure you give the show a subscribe for future episodes. If you're not joined the Telegram group yet, you can do that at t.me slash stayingfreepod. If you want to give a donation, you can do that in a few ways. First is via Bitcoin tips. The second is via Buy Me A Coffee, which allows for one-off donations as well as membership subscriptions starting at just £1 a month. And you can also listen to the show on the Fountain app and stream sats as you listen. One more way that you can help support me is by using the affiliate links, which I'm going to start putting in the episode description. So any links that I put in the description of the episode are going to be things that I think are of value and that are in line with my own principles. So the first one I'm putting down there is for Surfshark VPN. This is a VPN that I use personally. I've been using it for probably about five years now, and it's always been absolutely great. I use it on my computer. I use it on my phone. I'm always using a VPN at any given time. And also the price is very, very competitive. So if you're not using a VPN, you really should consider doing that. It's the absolute best way that you can protect your privacy online. Or if you're already using a VPN and you're considering changing, I highly recommend Surfshark. You can go check them out on Trustpilot and all these other platforms, and they've always got absolutely fantastic reviews. So please use that affiliate link in the description if you're interested in getting Surfshark VPN. As always, I appreciate your support and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Karen Haradine. Karen Haradine. No, Haradine. No, Haradine. Haradine. <laughs> <laughs> Haradine. Okay, well, Karen Haradine, welcome to the podcast. Obviously, you know, like with a lot of my guests, uh, we got connected on Twitter a while back and I've been kind of following uh, your journalism and, and your tweets and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, excited to have you on the podcast to, to talk today. Uh, do you just want to give some of my some of my guests a bit of a background just as to, as to yourself? So um, I'm originally South African, been in the UK for many years. Um, I started writing properly maybe about seven years ago. Um, I'm really a freelance, non-MSN journalist. In fact, I don't really think of myself as a journalist. I really just think of myself as a writer. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I did journalism uh, for my undergraduate degree, never really used it. And then several years ago, I did a postgraduate degree diploma in journalism and then started to write. Um, and thank God managed to get things published, which is always like, you know, the, the end result of what you want to do when you write. Um, as much as I find it difficult, I'm always drawn to writing on the difficulties that we have in this world, uh, the darkness in our world and what's happening. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I, I mainly write for a publication called TCW. I have my own Substack account as well. I've written for other publications too. Um, it is, I would say, a vocation for me as non-MSN writers do not make a lot of money. So you really have to feel <laughs> completely drawn to writing. And I'm grateful for uh, having some sort of voice that I, I can put my ideas and concerns across in what I write about. Um, I have a master's in anthropology, so that kind of informs my writing quite a bit. Uh, giving me, I would say, like a, a perspective on society and culture that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't have the training I did. So it's been quite good for me to use my long ago master's degree and try and integrate that into writing. And yeah, that's me, basically. <laughs> okay, nice. So, so your main outlet is the conservative woman, right? Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Cool. I don't. I don't know too much about the conservative woman. I'd actually never heard about it until everything kicked off in 2020. So, what's the history there of the conservative woman? Well, it was begun by um, two women, Kathy Ginger and Laura Perrins. I think it was in 2014 they began it. Um, nothing to do connected with the Conservative Party in the UK. It's just about conservative values, etc. Right. But it has grown to be one of the probably the only publication in the UK that is really tackling the real issues, the real threat to our freedom. Um, I, in the beginning of 2016, I've been reading it really from when it started and I sent Kathy, the editor, an idea for a blog as they were asking for writers and she liked my suggestion and thank God I've been writing for them since. Um, they cover a whole range of topics, um, and I very much like and resonate with the line they take on everything there. Kathy's very brave, a very brave person, and um, I'm grateful to write for them. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really cool. I, I definitely um, see that, that the conservative woman has been one of the only outlets to kind of really cover this stuff. I mean... That there's just been like so much so much silence and I, I, I love Laura Perrins. I, I I've been listening to her on um on the James Dellingpole podcast. I mean, yeah. they're the episodes I really tune in for now. Like sometimes I will just like look out for those ones and listen because she's just got such an energy to her. Like I just yeah, I, I really think that she's doing some, like some awesome really stuff. So refreshing to have people just speak what really is on their minds. You know, we're facing a lot of censorship and a lot of self-censorship, and for good reason as well, because People for, for the last, oh my goodness, I'd say even the last 10, 15 years have become more uh, aware of what to say, what not to say, and for good reason. If you're accused of so-called racism, if you are seen as you know transphobic or whatever it is, you could lose your job, you could lose your livelihood, you could be sent to prison. So people are very scared now, and it's very much been 
I would say a boiling frog situation. Now, if you, ha I mean, I don't know if you've read about the new police power bill in the UK. If you if you are talking too loudly at a protest, police can arrest you. This is also going on in Australia and New Zealand. It's the lockstep that bothers me the most, particularly the last few years. So uh, we have uh, an acceleration of the just of the destruction of all our freedoms. So that is why it's really nice when you listen to podcasts like from Laura, that people just speak their minds without fear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's kind of rare, but I also love the fact that it's coming from like a, a women's kind of journalist. What do you yeah. call it? It's not really a, not a newspaper, is it? But I guess like a online journalism platform. Uh, yeah, like, online journalism, yes. I, lo I love that because, because I actually just think that like, there's a lot of really like based women out there yeah. and like this is just a, this is an outlet for us to actually kind of like hear those voices i mean i definitely notice like when you go into the march and stuff there's some there's some really really like passionate women who I, in my opinion like they really like have showed up a lot of men who you know traditionally you know maybe or maybe not this should be the case but traditionally men have been the people who's been expected to kind of stand up for stand up for what is right stand up for freedom and all this stuff but you know i see like women really stepping into that role and just doing an awesome job so yeah congrats to what you guys are, are doing over at, over at the Woman. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah so um in terms of like your your journalism and stuff like now you're writing about these these things like the the wef and some of the stuff that we'll get into today is that kind of something that you've always been interested in? Like, where did that, where did that journey start for you of kind of writing about these more like alternative issues? Um, I've been writing, I've mentioned the WF in my writings a few years ago, but I've always had like an interest in these supernatural organizations like the UN, etc. I'm Jewish and I've always been very aware of the terrible anti-Semitism that comes from the United Nations. So I've been, for the last, 40 years or so, I've been watching what's been going on at the United Nations because of the anti-Semitism that sparked it. Um, the, also being aware of uh, how they tackled apartheid in South Africa as well, um, being South African originally, I grew up under apartheid. Um, so there's, I guess I've just been aware of all these things happening from a combination of being Jewish and aware of anti-Semitism, particularly in these organizations. From growing up under apartheid South Africa and seeing what, how oppressive police states destroy humans. Um, and I would also say that when I started writing, my first focus was on anti-Semitism because that has been something that I've written about quite a lot. And given what I know about the UN and their subsidiaries, um, it was a natural step for me to start to focus on writing the anti-Semitism in the UN and their subsidiaries to the whole COVID climate change agenda in the UN and its subsidiaries and their collaborators like the WEF, who I've written about. The Gates Foundation was on my radar, but I only really earnestly started writing about them in 2020, where I noticed the Tories, the conservative party in, in this country, had literally turned into Bill Gates' lapdogs. Everything Bill Gates said, you had various ministers on Twitter, etc., just regurgitating his rubbish. Um, as well as, uh, I think it was in May 2021, I did a whole lot of um, pieces for TCW on the Gates Foundation influence on British scientific institutions, which was just horrendous. Uh, some of the people that work for these institutions were part of SAGE and Independent SAGE. 
you know, who kind of through the whole lockdown and mandatory vaccination stopped everybody, you know, purveyors of that propaganda. Um, I've been writing for a long time on the Chinese Communist Party as well. They're very much connected to the UN, to the World Health Organization. Um, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates are big fans of Xi Jinping, which is just heinous, in my opinion. So there's all this interconnectedness um, that sparked from my interest in the anti-Semitism in the UN many, many years ago and grew from that. Okay, so so it started with the anti. Well, first, I want to get into the actual anti-Semitism in the UN stuff because I've not I've not heard anything about that before. But when was it? When was it that you started to kind of look at the the UN and become skeptical about it? I would say I started looking at the UN when I was a child. Um, I was, my parents took my sister and I to um, America when I was very young. I was twelve. And we visited the UN offices and I, you know, the UN building, uh, you know, they have tours, etc. And I remember my parents saying to the UN person, you know, please don't go on too much about Israel and South Africa. I don't want um, our children to be too upset about it. And that sparked something in me. Like I remember thinking, what's going on? <laughs> and so as I... Um, I was, I grew up in a house that was very anti-apartheid. I grew up in a house that was very Zionist orientated. Um, and so I very much kind of followed that pathway, particularly going into university and just, you know, it wasn't so easy to access when I was at university in the eighties and early nineties stuff on the internet, but I would still read newspapers, etc. And then as uh, the internet grew, so did more information grow. Um, and I would say as information became more available, the UN was online, etc. The more I read from reputable sources like the Jerusalem Post, there's very, you know, the more I understood and the more I became aware. It's been a, a process, I would say. It wasn't done overnight, a long process. So I would say that's how it happened. And and for the actual anti-Semitism in the UN stuff, how is that how is that expressed? What are the, the kind of most obvious examples of that? You know, I, this is what shocked me the most, Johnny, because it's been a well. I, I would I recommend to view to viewers of your podcast to have a look at a, a, pub, a website called UN Watch. I've been following them for many many years. They document the heinous anti-Semitism on it in there. The World Health Organization basically has passed many uh, anti-Israel uh, resolutions, um, which is just unbelievable because there are many many countries in this world that are horrific to their own people. But, you know, I don't want to get into the whole anti-Israel-Palestine you know, thing. But what I'm saying is if you take it from a perspective of somebody who is Jewish and you look at Israel as the only Jewish state in this world, and the UN, and including this absolutely the World Health Organization, as well as UNRWA, which is the UN um, refugee organization set up specifically for uh, Palestinians, the the absolute horrific anti-Semitism emanating from all these organizations is off the chart. Now, what shocked me the most is a lot of the people that I know concerned about the anti-Semitism from the World Health Organization, the UN, etc. I have completely disregarded everything the UN, etc., has said. Suddenly fell for the whole COVID thing. I, it was like the night of the living dead. It's the only way I can describe it. One moment, these people had been writing like I have, protesting the UN, protesting the World Health Organization for their heinous anti-Semitism. 
And then the next moment, they, they were quoting facts and figures from the UN, uh, you know, so-called facts, <laughs> you know, disinformation, the word they like to use, and quoting these things from the World Health Organization, the UN, and I'm thinking, hello, you know, have you people had a brain transplant? Which it proved to me the power of propaganda and the brainwashing that everybody was subjected to in March 2020. So for, for me, it goes beyond the anti-Semitism into this whole... This, I mean, it, it's not even that the UN is anti-Semitic. Yes, it is. But it's run by despots. North Korea, Iran, which imprisons women if they, if they take their headscarves off and hangs homosexuals from cranes. You have, like, despotic regimes. I spoke, I've written about it when I wrote about the pandemic treaty. Belarus and Ukraine that imprisons journalists. I mean, this, these are the people in charge Oh, what's going to be happening to the world? So it goes beyond just the anti-Semitic, but it's always a clue. If something is rottenly anti-Semitic, you can guarantee that the rest of it will be putrid. It's a red flag for me. And that is how I knew to explore it further. But coming back to my point, this is what shocked me, that so many people just completely fell for the lies from the UN, from the BBC. Also, the BBC is is very anti-Semitic. So I was shocked that many of my fellow Jews, uh, many of the, those who kind of stood against anti-Semitism from these supernatural organizations and mainstream media um, organizations, suddenly started believing everything that they were told on COVID. If an organization or mainstream media is going to lie on one thing, chances are they're going to lie on everything else. So it goes much deeper for me than just the anti-Semitism. But that was my springboard into it. Okay, so that was the that was like your initial, um, yeah. I guess, starting to wake up moment. Yeah. Um, I guess was- let's let's kind of fast forward then to like things happening in 2020. It sounds like you were pretty pretty primed for that. Like you already distrusted these organizations, which. I don't know, I guess I had maybe a loose distrust, but not to that degree. So what was that process like, kind of learning about everything that was happening in 2020 and seeing what was happening in the media and also knowing about these organizations and how kind of like dark they are? Um, How did that go for you? So frustrating and literally so disturbing. I've spoken about people that I thought would know better than trusting what came from these organizations and watching the literal destruction of economies and societies just because these despots said so, I knew something was up. I knew, knowing what I knew from about the CCP and the, the, um, the images and videos they were releasing to the rest of the world, I know the CCP plays the long game, the Chinese Communist Party, they play the long game. Um, they have conquered economically many countries through their uh, Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI, um, including Italy. So it was no surprise to me when you suddenly started to see images coming out of Italy of, you know, loads of hospital trolleys and Italy went into strict lockdown. Their puppet, ma- their, you know, their puppet masters are the CCP, the same thing with Spain, up to their eyeballs and debt to their BRI. But when China, when the CCP started to release these kind of images of um, people dying, going through coughing and dying in the street, and I remember thinking, why are they doing this? You know, this is a this is a regime that strictly controls what goes out of China, of the image of China, of the internet there. So why are they releasing things showing that they might have lost control, uh, supposedly? <laughs> and I and, and so for me it didn't add up because I thought the CCP is doing something 
that has to be to their advantage. What is the advantage here for the CCP? And I figured it out pretty quickly the moment uh, the whole lockdown propaganda came in, as well as a combination of knowing that the CCP was kind of very dominant, rising at the UN and the World Health Organization, um, as well as the fact, like, I remember saying to my mother in February 2020, because she was really scared and saying, oh, people are dropping dead in the street. And I remember just saying to her, well, when people start dropping dead in the streets in Britain, then I'll worry. Um, but nobody did. That was the first thing, knowing what I knew about the CCP. Um, watching the lockdown propaganda coming in, I'm not a scientist, but I, I write with evidence. And I remember thinking, just because the CCP is saying lockdown, why is the World Health Organization doing this? I know they're suspects, so what is the advantage of this? And um, what is going on there? So this is all the questions that started to ignite me. In March 20, February, March 2020, Sweden and the UK were the only two to kind of go down the route of uh, really what the Great Barrington Declaration suggested. Sweden yeah. continued down that path, didn't obliterate their economy on society and health services. Britain changed their mind literally overnight. Um, and I have, I suspect that we're also very much in debt to the BRI over here. Um, Who's the BRI, by the way? I don't know if I've heard that before. Belt and Road Initiative is the Chinese Communist Party's economic colonialism. What they do is they invest in certain countries. And then when these countries fold on their debt, they seize the infrastructure. It's, co it's oh, economic yeah. colonialism. And we are in debt to them. I would suspect the UK is heavily in debt, not only through the government, but private uh, companies as well. It's very it's something I've written about for a long time. A lot of African countries are heavily in debt to the BRI. Um, and China's getting rich on it. So basically, it suited China for the West to completely crush their economy um, and disintegrate their society. So that was what, I mean, this is multi-stranded, but they all do connect together. Then, unfortunately, um, in about March to about July uh, 2020, I had a few health issues that ended me. I had to get, I had to go to any emergency department. I had to have an emergency operation, etc. I remember thinking, and this was at several different hospitals over those few months, thinking, where are all the sick and dying? I mean, it was like, you would imagine in a so-called pandemic, the hospitals would be completely overrun. I remember one evening in A&E, it was just me and a cat, a stray cat. That is, you know, I, I, it was extraordinary to watch. Everybody's going, everybody's dying. The only people who, were, who did die were the poor elderly shoved into care homes by the madman, Matt Hancock. Um, when this all happened. Um, so it, I remember thinking to myself, well, this is something, if it was a real pandemic, the ambulances would be lining up outside. There was nothing, nothing. I, the hospitals were deserted. And also we know they were shut down to anybody except those with COVID. And that to me, I call that eugenics by another name. So it was multi-stranded. And that's when I started to write on it. Right. Just on what you were saying there about uh, about China, because you mentioned about, you know, it was definitely in their favor for, for other countries to kind of lock down and ruin their economies and stuff. Do you think like 
We're supposed to believe, and I don't know whether this is true or not, and I want to know your opinion on this, that China also had these really, really long, drastic lockdowns that lasted long after everywhere else had opened up and they carried on. Like, it seems that that theory that China just wanted everywhere else to lock down while they can kind of continue their economic juggernaut going, that falls apart if they also had these really long, stringent lockdowns, which which supposedly, if you believe the media, they did. Do you think that they did? Or do you you think that the rest of the world was told... And they did. But remember, China is now the world's superpower. It's hardly done the economy any damage. Our lockdowns have destroyed our economies. I mean, it's destroyed our health systems. It's destroyed so much. China is wealthy. They signed um, a, a couple of years ago in the middle of all of this, a 25-year agreement with Iran to get oil from Iran. Um, while they invest in infrastructure in Iran, um, they are making a huge fortune. Don't forget that most of the masks and those ridiculous COVID tests are manufactured in China. So every time people go, oh, you're going to wear a mask. Oh, I've got to take my 20th COVID test today. What you're doing when you did that is you are financing the CCP. The CCP, I would say, yes, of course, the world economy is in a recession, but they're all in a very good spot. They didn't destroy their economy. They enriched it. Um, there's uh, quite a number of vaccine uh, companies investing in China. Um, they are not, this did them no harm at all. In fact, selling lockdown propaganda, particularly to the West, was the death knell to the West. Our civilization in the West is dying. And China plays a large role in that. And that would be my answer for that. Okay, so let's get into some of the other ones, um, some of the other key players in this, because you've written this um, this series called The Indoctrinators, which I haven't read it all yet, but I've, I've read some of it, and it definitely is is worth going into to kind of get a, a really broad idea of these, these key players. Who are The Indoctrinators? Um, I would say George Soros, as I've written, um, Klaus Schwab, uh, Bill Gates, and David Attenborough. And David Attenborough. Okay, that's an interesting one. Can you tell me where, where he comes into this? He is a neo-Malthusian. He is a, he's connected to the WEF and the UN. Um, he terrifies people into saying climate change is happening. It's better, if, if, you know, he's terrified children, basically. He's a, he's a mouthpiece for the other indoctrinators uh, as well. And... He goes on and on and on about climate change and how terrible us humans are. Um, and unfortunately, this leads to further indoctrination about climate change. Now, for me, the whole thing about climate change is not so much that it's happening. You can argue the causes of it for thousands mm-hmm. of minutes if you wanted to. It's the solutions that these indoctrinators propose that I find the most terrifying. That is what's leading to a new dark age, and including David Attenborough. He's fully paid up for this. And he's also yeah, part of yeah. you know, the Worldwide uh, uh, Fund, and they're also connected. I mean, this, you know, there's, these are people who are worth millions creating these series, like you recently did a series with Netflix, all about admonishing humans these, these things are all about admonishing humans and how terrible we all are and what a terrible virus we all are on the face of the planet. And I don't like that. I don't like the fact that people are made to feel guilty just for living. It's a horrible way 
to kind of treat people and this, as I said the solutions by all the indoctrinators that are being proposed to cure climate change are frightening beyond belief. Yeah yeah I mean my I'm kind of on my way down that climate change rabbit hole at the moment like I always believed that climate change was a was was real it was all human cause it was a it was a serious threat etc and I think that I didn't even though I wasn't necessarily being presented the evidence that would um, kind of confirm that for me, I always just kind of like, I guess I just, I, I believed the authorities essentially. And for me, I needed to kind of see a real example of, you know, do these scientists lie? You know, I know that governments lie. I know that politicians lie. I know that bankers lie, et cetera. But I'd never seen scientists lying, I guess. And then for me, it was when everything happened in 2020 and I was like, oh, okay, this is this whole other kind of, um, you know, authority. Yes. Um, these, yes, exactly. Uh, of authority that actually um, can lie, you know, and I saw it happen and I saw it happen with COVID and I was like, oh, well, they're lying too. And if not, they're, if, if not lying, then they have also been duped. I just think that's the case for most people. I think that most, most uh, you know, doctors and, you know, epidemiologists or whatever, they were just as duped as anyone. Like you can dupe people, even if they're an expert in that field, they can still be duped, right? Like they, they can still fall for the kind of overall prevailing dogma. So it's not, it wasn't before then, but since then I've kind of thought, okay, well maybe I need to like reassess, you know, the, my, my belief in this claim. And I still don't know. I still, I'm still unsure. Okay. Like are humans causing it? Are they not causing it? Is it a problem? Is the best way that we deal with it, you know, to like uh, actually just deal with the consequences of it rather than to, you know, think that we can kind of change our, our behavior and, you know, what would that require? So I don't know exactly where I stand on all that. But that said, what I find really interesting is that all of the goals for the, the climate, um, the you know, to, to deal with climate change, it's basically just, you can just take all of the, the, the goals from the COVID thing that they tried to bring about, you know, oh, well, now we need va now we need vaccine passports to travel. Well, you know, now you'll need some kind of like carbon certificate to travel. Oh, you know, like wh whatever it is, whatever the thing is, like, you know, d like and things like ending travel, like keeping people where they are, keeping people like at home, you know, stopping people driving. It's all the exact same thing. And now we have it for this new thing, climate change, or, you know, I guess climate change kind of pre predated COVID. Um, but I guess my question to you is, do you think that climate change is their second attempt at this? Because my, uh, the, the way that I see it is that like COVID was, it was almost like they already had the climate change stuff going and it didn't quite pan out. They weren't quite able to like restructure society in the way they wanted. And then they went with the COVID thing. And then that didn't, in my opinion, kind of like didn't really work out the way they'd hoped either. And now they've gone back to climate change. It's almost like they're, they're, they're trying to find the thing that's going to stick. They're trying to find the problem, the issue that's going to like stick into the future and that they can actually kind of bring about this change. I I'm wondering like how you view all that. Do you think that the climate thing is, is their second attempt? Or? I think you make some very interesting points that really resonate with me because there's a big connection between the response to COVID, which was nothing more than a bad flu virus. And whenever you have a bad flu virus, yes, people die, it's unfortunate. But for me, um, it provided a gateway for the ultimate agenda, which is the UN Agenda 2030. I, I cannot stress it enough, and I've stressed it in my writings, anything that comes from the UN is always suspect, always bad for the world, and should be disregarded straight away. This is being led by the UN and its subsidiaries. 
So I, I, I wrote for uh, TCW in 2021, also 2020, I always forget. <laughs> um, I think it was in 2020, I can't remember. But 2020 I wrote, was the year of COVID, 2021 was the year of vaccine fascism. Yes, so I can't remember when it was published, but I, I, it was sometime in that time um, where I wrote a two-part series connecting the UN, climate change and COVID, i.e. the responses to both those. So my take was COVID provided an excellent gateway into a seizing of resources and power. You know, the, the whole thing with vaccine passports, which was a gateway to digital slavery, um, the implementation of Agenda 2030, where I've written before many times on this saying, um, things like travel, red meat, uh, even electricity will be only so expensive, they'll be only available to the elite. We're seeing that unfold. Um, these things are extremely worrying. This is why I talk about the so-called solutions to climate change. I would definitely say COVID, the response to COVID was so over the top, um, as well as all the other reasons why I was very suspect about it, that I knew that there was something very, something completely hidden. Real, real experts on disease were disregarded by the governments. There was so much lockstep going on. Um, and then they started to tie in COVID with uh, climate change, i.e., oh, we have a pandemic because we have climate change. And then I knew, mm -hmm. then I knew without a doubt. That's so it provided a gateway. It's very easy to scare people. We saw this with uh, the Nazis in the 1930s calling Jews unclean um, and carrying diseases. It's very, very easy to do a mass propaganda campaign and terrify people. We saw that, I mean, in December 2020, I wrote um, a piece for TCW called Beware the Tyranny of a Mandatory Vaccine. Little did I know how horrific that was going to get in 2021. And I mean, I just, for me, the whole vaccine was an attempt to push us towards digital slavery. And they're still going to push it. I really think rationing will be coming in. I think you won't be allowed a certain amount of food or, or red meat or electricity or water, etc. I mean, it's a whole power grab. There's also uh, no coincidence that some of the wealthiest people in our, in our society um, like the guy who runs Amazon, Jeff Bezos, the Gate, Bill Gates, got 20, well, million times more wealthier during the lockdown and the whole COVID debacle, and everyone else got poorer. Hello to your new dark age with a feudal system to match. So for me, it is uh, totally tied in. Um, whether you think uh, climate change is man-made or human-made or combination of both doesn't matter. Whether you think it's happening or not, it doesn't matter. What is happening is that a global tyranny of really a combination of socialist, fascist policies are being implemented by the no longer democratic West and the rest of the world. And we're in for a very rough time, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that really does sum it up, doesn't it? I mean, um, yeah, I think the, the next thing that we're looking at down the line here, after the, after the vaccine passport thing didn't really stick, well, now we're talking about, ah, oh, well, you know, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a cyber pandemic and, you know, we, we all need to, we're going to, there's going to be an attack from Russia and we all need to have these digital oh, IDs now to access the internet. Well, and it drove me nuts. <laughs> I couldn't believe 
like the same people who's, you know, there was people that didn't fall for the COVID propaganda suddenly started screaming about Putin and pouring their vodkas down their kitchen sink. I mean, this was insane. I am no fan of Russia. I am no fan of Ukraine. Both have consistently voted against Israel um, at the UN. I've written about this. I've written about the deep anti-Semitism both in Russia and Ukraine. But Ukraine, I mean, this is the thing that what terrifies me is how much humanity has regressed the last few years. People no longer think for themselves. In 2014, when, you know, when the whole Russian-Ukraine thing began, there was a all this information in the MSN about the um, neo-Nazis, the Azov Battalion in the newspapers and the websites in the MSN. All of a sudden, you weren't allowed to mention that. I did in my writing because they're a bunch mm -hmm. of racists and anti-Semites, real racists. I'm not talking about, you know, to real racism here. Um, and Ukraine is another despotic regime. And I'm thinking, why is one sort of despotic regime being lined up against another, yet we're told one is the good guy and one is the bad guy? Um, what is going on here? So for me, that's multi-stranded again. You have Biden and his interests, you know, his son's interests in Ukraine. You have, um, as always, a foreign aid, something I've written on prolifically over the years for TCW, a what really is stealing the resources out of the country from the poorest in the country and giving it to a bunch of wealthy NGOs and government officials and backslapping. It never reaches the people it needs to go to. You have um, the sanctions on Russia, which hasn't really harmed Russia, but has ensured that most people in the West are struggling to afford food and energy costs, which, you know, if it's in the WEF, then you will own nothing and you will be happy. No wonder they push the whole Ukraine thing. Um, yeah. As well as the fact that um, people are just falling for more propaganda. And as you say, yes, they will lock themselves down now voluntarily. I saw this last year, last summer, um, with Britain that had a week of a, bad, a heat wave. And people were voluntarily locking themselves down. And I'm thinking, okay, humanity is now lost. <laughs> a week of hot weather and people are locking themselves in their home under house arrest. <laughs> That's <laughs> just honestly <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I mean, just it's bizarre, isn't it? There, there's just a lot of inversion going on. It's like there's a reason why when it's sunny outside, you know, we enjoy it. We like that. We yes. we get pleasure from going out. I mean, you know, you your body needs the vitamin D. There's just it, it's a, it's a natural thing to desire, but it's almost like they're trying to drive a wedge between these things that are just completely you know natural and and healthy behaviors like going out in the sun. It's sucking joy and meaning out of people's lives. I saw that happen the moment lockdown happened. Yeah. Um, and this is what worries me about Agenda 2030. It's first of all, taking away what gives human beings what they need. Like I, I'm very much kind of their diet that they're proposing, whether it's a combination of processed vegan muck or insects, is disastrous for the human brain. Um, we need meat, we need, you know, well, omnivores, we need meat and we need our salad and we need good fats, you know, this well, is... Let me, I'm going to disagree with you there, Karen, because like, I don't, I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Like I, I myself am vegan and I, but what oh, I hate, sorry, what I, didn't insult no, you. No, no, it's fine. You know, my belief is that I'm still against the kind of like the pushing of all the process stuff. And of course the bugs, but my belief is that there's, there's these two types of veganism. And actually like there, there, there are quite a lot of other vegans in the freedom community who have this, um, who have this viewpoint. So it's a good time to articulate it now. And that is that there's, there's basically there's two forms of veganism. There's, there's this kind of corporate 
what I would call like a kind of corporate or globalist kind of vegan thing, which is like, hey, we should all stop meat, eating meat because of cow farts, uh, you know, like making the, the planet, you know, heat up, et cetera, and all this, this kind of stuff. So there's, there's that kind of thing. And it's never about ethics. It's never about, you know, let's treat animals kindly. It's never about, you know, let's eat healthy, organic fruits and vegetables. It's like cows are farting. It's heating up the planet. Now we all need to generally eat bugs, but maybe we'll talk about vegetables every now and then yes, as well. Right? There's that. Isn't it? There is that. But there is also like I think a another side and I do and I know other people like who are big on it in the in the vegan movement. There's actually a there's actually a website or is it a website or a Facebook page or something? It's called uh it's called Vegans Against Agenda Twenty Thirty. And there's a lot of vegans who who are out there who basically say, Look, we advocate for um, veganism, but we're talking about like health, you know, we're talking about like, eating healthy food. We're talking about eating, pr- eating food, fruits and vegetables, not having, you know, like loads of protest stuff, not, you know, like yeah, some kind of like monoculture crap. So there's two sides for it. So like, I half agree with you, but I don't think that like, you know, I don't think that we need uh, meat. I would disagree with you on that point, but I also think that the replacement for that should not be like, Hey, let's all go and eat bugs. It should be, yes. Hey, let's all go and eat organic fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Like that beyond meat burger thing. I mean, if you look at the ingredients, and that's a Gates Foundation funded uh, meat, so-called vegan meat thing. The, the ingredients are horrific. A recipe for disasters for human health. I guess I'm very much about choice. You know, I was actually vegetarian for many years, so about 25 years, and it made me oh, very ill. So this is Did why I just yeah, oh yeah, it made me extremely ill. I'm in what in what way was that? Like, how, how did that make you ill? I think it led, you know, I think I mentioned to you, I have ME, chronic fatigue syndrome. And I just oh, think okay. that my body, just the way that it is, um, thrives on meat, whereas um, it didn't thrive on a vegetarian diet. It was too high in carbohydrates for me. Um, it was too, I didn't get enough protein, I think, for my body. I, this is mm-hmm. what, what, what concerns me because everybody's different. Some people completely thrive on a vegan diet, like yourself, as you were saying. And mm-hmm. I totally totally agree with you on those two distinctions between a vegan diet because what they're pushing are their ultra processed muck basically and insects i mean it's horrific for nutrition yeah especially especially the insect thing it really bothers me you know because this is something that like you know as a vegan everyone's like oh well you know where where do you get the protein it's like well protein's in pretty much everything there's almost no food you can find that doesn't have protein in it there's like there's like you could count them on the fingers of one hand foods that actually have zero protein that's like incredibly small but then there's this kind of uh, you know there's this mobilization of this kind of propaganda campaign to say well hey you know if you're not eating if you're not eating meat like because we can't do that obviously because of the climate then we have to all go and eat bugs we've got to go and eat crickets it's like well hang on why and they say well protein it's like well protein's in everything you know so it's yet another one of these lies is it treats people with absolute contempt it shows yeah. how they really think of us little people i i've written a piece together with um, a, a fellow writer i wrote it last year on about like you know children are being bred into obedient joys and a lot of that is nutrition you i totally get your point about veganism my point comes back to the fact that we are uh we have different body needs. You know, some people thrive on certain diets and some people don't. We need the choice. I'm terrified they're going to take my meat away from me. And yeah, I, I think, that, yeah, I wouldn't advocate at all. I mean, I, I advocate for people to say, look, um, you know, 
the way that we we should we should really consider the way we treat animals because the way that you know people are always complaining ah oh, well you know they're trying to enslave us in this way they're trying to lock us up and it's like well look at what we do to animals i mean look at the way that we treat animals let's not let's let's obviously you know scream and shout about being enslaved ourselves by these people yeah. but let's I'm also true. not become the monster you know that's that's one of the things and this is why i think it's always good to kind of um i'd rather eat less um, of yeah. meat and chicken and buy we just go to local witches and mm-hmm. buy local eggs you know because then I know where my food is coming from but not everybody has that not everybody you know because we're in the country we can do that which is lucky but I think you know it's about choice you know you we have a choice so many of our freedoms over the last years have been obliterated. The West used to be a bastion of democracy and freedom. Now that the West is now just turned into a combination of socialism, fascism, and we're headed to mm-hmm. disaster, where is the beacon of light in our world? Where is a civilization that stands for freedom and democracy? Because it sure ain't in North Korea. It sure isn't in Iran. It sure isn't yeah. in China. Uh, where is that, you know, it's not in Belarus, it's not in uh, Russia, it's not in Ukraine. Where is it? It used to be the West. Now that is gone, people should be really worried. And it's this choice. I mean, I was shocked too about young people. Like, yes, there have been a few young people that I've come across, particularly on Twitter, et cetera, who really stood up against the COVID propaganda, et cetera. But the same university students and, and, and high school students who used to march for climate change, etc., quietly acquiesced to the lockdown, just obeyed mm-hmm. the government, obeyed the establishment without question. And that terrified me. Why should it be left up to somebody like myself in her 50s to stand up to this? When you're young, that is when you're supposed to rail against the establishment. That again also connects to the whole thing that children are just really being bred not to question, just to be obedient. It's quite terrifying. Um, and that ties into nutrition as well. That ties into uh, what the way that you put it, corporate veganism. I really like that term because that's exactly what's going on. They're not being taught how to be vegan. They're being taught to eat, you know, ultra-processed yeah. milk, which will mess with their nutrition. I mean, there right. is... And, and, and also, and also, you know, to to accept the thing that's kind of given to you. you now, in the case of in the case of, oh, you know, we'll give you this, we'll give you this kind of plant based thing that's made by this big corporation, or we'll give you this, you know, these these bugs or whatever. It's never like, hey, you know, maybe like learn how to like learn about nutrition or learn how to grow your own food, learn how to kind of actually be more self sufficient. Everything is like, hey, don't you know, there's this problem in the world, and normally, you know, the problem. You know, I mean, I would have at le- I would at least give these people the time of day if they sat around and said, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we should eat less food because you know we're we're putting all of these pigs in a factory farm and you know we're treating them horribly." Then maybe you'd have my attention. We can start talking about that. But when it yeah. starts with cow farts, I, I immediately am like, "Okay, well, I'm disqualifying anything because you're yeah. you know you're not going in with the right angle." The biggest issue here is not that you know the if we want to talk about ethics and we want to talk about you know like freedoms and offering freedoms to ourselves and freedom to animal that now we can have a conversation about your solution but when the solution is to this kind of you know this this problem which i don't even know whether i necessarily agree that that you know is the, the is a problem but it's certainly not the primary problem it's certainly not the primary reason that we should be doing these things and yeah that's an immediate giveaway for me so like anyone you know anyone who's listening who's like oh you know we've got to be skeptical of the vegan agenda i would just say like be skeptical of anyone who starts with climate change as a reason to advocate for veganism that's you know the, 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 the skepticism should come from the motive not from the action <laughs> 
Exactly, and that is your intuition kicking in. That you know, sometimes we have deep intuitions about things. You know, you you can yeah. sense that is not right. There's something not right with uh, the reasons they're giving for climate change. I mean, I grew up being told that you know that spring deodorant was going to rip a, a hole in the ozone layer, and you know that we're, we're headed for like a flooded world and an ice age. I've heard it all in my fifty plus years. That is why I'm very very cynical. Um, this, yeah. to me, the whole thing with Agenda 2030, it is a resource grab, a power grab by some of the worst despots in the world, led by the indoctrinators. Um, to me, the most evil of them all um, is Bill Gates. The man, to me, just drips evil. I find Soros, I find the, I've written on Soros before. I read his autobiography um, or his biography a few years ago and wrote about it for TCW, a deeply, deeply disturbed individual. I never thought of him as evil, but the more I wrote on Gates, the more I became convinced that this is a very, very evil man. And I'm very worried. You know, the level that the Gates Foundation has, the level of power they have, and they've had it since 1998 when they first started donating to the World Health Organization, uh, the level of power they hold over the World Health Organization, etc., is terrifying. Terrifying. Mm -hmm. And this is not a good, you know, this is a deeply evil man and, a, and an organization that seems to have a grind against the West. I mean, I remember um, a while ago, because foreign aid is a big thing here in the UK. Um, there's a lot of issues with it. Something, as I said, I've written many times on. Um, and Bill Gates wrote something for The Guardian saying, oh, you know, we've got to have foreign aid, developmental aid, etc. No one, you know, it's terrible. The UK government cuts it. You know, what it really does, as I said earlier, it really uh, takes the resources away from the poorest people in Britain and sends it off to line the despots' bank accounts in Switzerland. That's all it really comes down to. Um, and if you have a look uh, at some of the stuff I've written, I've shown how... Uh, Foreign aid in Britain has been diverted to the Gates Foundation and their little projects. Look up the Ross, um, the Ross Foundation and various other things. Um, oh, and okay. uh, Boris Johnson has promised billions to give to Gavi, the vaccine offshoot of the Gates Foundation. No wonder Bill Gates doesn't want uh, a foreign aid in the UK to stop. Uh, it's the, these are evil men. This is the evil yeah. palpable to me. So if you're a regular listener to the show, then you might remember a recent episode that I did with Alex Zek, which was episode 46, called The Viral Myth and Evolving Beyond the Paradigm of Deception. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I really recommend you go and check it out. We talk about a lot of interesting ideas regarding virology and illness and how we can take control over our own health. And more recently, someone from Alex's team got in touch with me about an educational event that they're going to be doing, which I definitely think is going to interest a lot of you guys. So it's called The End of COVID, and it is an online education designed for the way in which we consume content today. Similar to a podcast, they've recorded over 100 hours of interviews, presentations, and conversations with prominent voices from the likes of David Icke, Kelly Brogan, Amanda Vollmer, Tom Cohen, Andrew Kaufman, Christian Northrup, and many, many more. This event launches on July the 11th. I had a look through the program and as well as these very prominent guests, a few that jumped out to me were Alex Zek himself, Jesse Zurawell and Patrick Henningsen from TNT Radio, Dr. Melissa Sell, Nick Hudson and Etienne de la Beauté Squared. So if this sounds like something that interests you, please do use my referral link. That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. 
That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. That will be in the show notes anyway. And on that website, you can check out all about it. There's a trailer there. There's a bunch of information. You can see all the speakers and see what the event's about. And if you do decide that this is going to be a value for you and you end up signing up to get access to the program, please do use my referral code and that will help to support my content as well. All right, back to the episode. On that point, actually, you know, about these are evil men and stuff. Like, where are you on the whole spiritual side of this? Because it does seem to me that there's some pretty discernible evil in the world that are coming from these people. And, you know, like I talk a lot about like the, the kind of inversion of truth and stuff, you know, the, this constant, you know, it's almost like everything that's good in the world is like, just, just turn it evil. I mean, for me, like children in children, just like seeing children in masks and stuff, or, or like social distancing children, you know, some of these, some of these images that I saw that was just, it really just kind of hit me deep on, on a level. I was like, you are just basically taking like innocent kids and you're kind of like just corrupting them with lies in some way. And there's kind of been this constant theme of it, you know, right through until now. And, you know, even just, you know, even this kind of like, oh yeah, like a lot of the, the kind of, um, you know, the kind of like wokeism stuff. It's like, well, we're going to, we're going to advocate for what essentially is new racism, but we're going to pretend that it, you know, we're going to say, we're going to say that it's like anti-racism, you know, but actually like, you know, things like, things like uh you know saying okay well we need like diversity quotas and that well that's just being racist to a different group of people i mean presenting that as not being racist well that is just that's just a new form of racism right like there's this kind of inversion going on in the world and it feels palpably evil to me and i'm not really a religious person so i want to know your your ideas on that totally feels evil for me i literally wake up in the morning with this taste of evil and a feeling of oppression that the last time i felt this oppression was growing up in um apartheid south africa now jews in apartheid south africa were uh, sort of classified as honorary whites but i still had eyes and i still had ears and i could see what was going on um and people's you know people's lives are obliterated by oppression and oppression is evil and the whole thing with the mass and children what the most disturbing thing is, is that it dehumanizes them. Yeah. That they're just turned into little obedient drones. It is just horrific to put a mask on a child's face as, and, and also force them to be vaccinated. I've mentioned many times on Twitter, as well as my writing, that children who are, they sacrifice their schooling, their healthcare, their well-being, and even their lives, some of them, unfortunately, to keep adults safe. If you do that to a child in your society, you're a barbaric society. We have returned to, that's why I say humanity's regrets. We're now barbaric to, right. to inflict what we saw inflicted on children to save adults is a form of barbarism. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I'd have to say with that. There's, to me, Jews don't believe in like Satan, the devil, or anything like that, but they do believe that humans can be, um, can be evil themselves that evil mm-hmm. does exist. And I very much believe that evil does exist. And unfortunately, um, what I call the normalization of the abnormal is happening all around us. Things that, um, I mean, I'm quite shocked of how many people support for children to have you know, their breasts chopped off or go on to hormones yeah. at the age of 12 just because they you know, are going along with the transgender trend. And if you say anything about it, you kind of, pillared as some kind of terrible human being. We see this with, which shocks me because I grew up under apartheid, the reverse apartheid, there's something I've written about as well, where people in their own countries like the UK, which is mainly white, indigenous people are being made to 
feel like second-class citizens in their own country. And this is reverse apartheid. You might want to rectify racism from the past. Absolutely do it. But don't rectify it so much that it becomes another form of apartheid. Yeah. It becomes another form of racism. You know, this if you speak out against these things, the backlash, you know, is quite horrific, as I have experienced. <laughs> but... You have to speak up because this is, you know, again, it's multi-stranded. As I mentioned in my George Soros piece, when, you know, these kind of things, the transgender trend, the whole thing about racism, all of these things break apart people and break apart society. And if broken societies lead to a broken state and that creates right pickings for these indoctrinators to swoop in and take control, which is exactly also what China's been doing. China's actually funded anarchist organizations in the US. Um, so, you know, in 2020, their TikTok is funded by the CCP and that's created yeah. a lot of issues for a lot of uh, young people. Broken people lead to broken societies, leads to broken failed states and once you're broken then it's very easy for uh these kind of socialist fascist indoctrinators and organizations like the un to conquer you basically china has mm -hmm. conquered mm -hmm. most of the west without firing a single shot and people are so stupid i really got angry when people were just buying masks and buying tests and doing and when our government here well they're not a government anymore they're a regime because no government would have seized power yeah. like this we're no longer a democracy you know, insist that everybody buys, you know, all these masks and tests, etc. how much they must have spent buying masks and tests. Enriching China, who imprisons Muslims in concentration camps, persecutes Christians and the little bit of Jews that are there, who are brutal colonialists in Africa. I mean, this is just, it's like watching the world burn and thinking, you know, <laughs> What, what is going on? Why are people just falling for this over and over again? Why aren't they protesting? Why are they not in the streets protesting? Why are they protesting so-called uh, green stuff, doing the work of the establishment and the UN and all, and the, you know, the indoctrinators and all these people, these bad actors who want the worst for humanity? Why aren't they out there doing that, saving themselves? Because there's no allied forces coming to save us. We have to save ourselves and we're not doing a very good job of it at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it seems like with all of these things that they're, they're pushing and the way that they get people on the on this these kind of bandwagons, you know, whether it's like the, the COVID go out, you know, everyone's suddenly turns on their neighbor. But they, yes. the, the way they do it is through kind of weaponizing empathy, right? And they do this every single time. So when it comes to climate change, it's weaponizing people's empathy. Hey, we want, we want to save the planet. We want a greener planet. You know, people are, there's going to be droughts. Don't you care about the people who are going to die in droughts, whatever. When it comes to the COVID stuff, it was, hey, you've got to get the vaccine. You've got to protect granny. You've got to protect whoever it is. 100%. One hundred. And, and when it comes, and, you know, even the trans stuff that you mentioned, right? No, it, it's just like, oh, well, you know, trans people are, they're being marginalized or whatever. So therefore we should support, um, you know, saying that trans people are, are you know, trans men are, are, are real men and trans women are real women and let them compete in sports. It's like, okay, well, who's got empathy? Who's got empathy for the person um, actually who is like having a title taken, for, taken from them because they're competing against someone who, you know, is biologically different to them. You know, who's, who's got a concern for the person who's going to get vaccine or the child who's taking a vaccine that they don't need to get? You know, who's, who's got the empathy for someone who's losing their job because of green policies or whatever? It's like you just narrow down on one 
um, kind of segment and say, hey, we're going to have empathy for these. And then the media just kind of gets behind it and says, yeah, yeah, we're going to only have empathy yeah, for these people. Uh, you know, I mean, the mainstream media, during the COVID uh, debacle, the government was the biggest funder of the mainstream media through adverse, et cetera. I mean, that is just appalling. Yeah. That is regime stuff. And I, I just want to go back to a comment you made about people saying that they were, you know, anti-racist. It literally became a rule of thumb for me, particularly when I was writing about anti-Semitism, that anybody who professed to be anti-racist, you scratch the surface and they were die-hard Jew haters. You know, and, it's just, and I would say, like, the same policy, the same way of thinking applies to these people who go, oh, you've got to be nice and you've got to kind of, if you... If you don't like shivering your home in the middle of winter because the electricity must go off because, you know, uh, climate change, then you're a bad person. If you don't lock yourself down for months on end and inject yourself with a toxic unproven vaccine, then you're a terrible human being that wants everybody to die. I mean, this is fascism. This is, you know, this is kind of groupthink fascism. I saw this under apartheid. I saw how, like, black people were treated as not just second-class citizens, but as non-humans. I mean, this is what happens where you do what is called othering, the dehumanization and demonization of the other. That is what's going It's also something I've written about for TCW um, in 2020, literally watching people being dehumanized, not just from the mass, but being told that they were terrible people, as you know, as you the, the examples you brought up, we can do it from a Look at anything from the so-called racism to transgenderism to climate change to COVID. If you are not in lockstep with the official narrative, uh, if you are not part of the whole woke movement, which is also part of the whole open society foundation uh, method of destroying societies, as well as we know the Gates Foundation, the WEF, it's all multi-stranded, all tied together. Um, as well as the UN. The UN is very big on transgenderism, and you have to ask yourself why. Um, if you don't follow the official narrative, there is hell to pay, and you have to think, why? What has happened to our freedom of speech? Why? What is wrong with saying that a man puts on lipstick, calls himself a woman, and you protest about that, saying that's not a woman, you know, that is, you know, somebody goes, that is, that is not a woman. And women are literally being pushed out of their own space. I had an example, like a couple of weeks ago, I went to my husband, with my husband to watch a local cricket match. There were toilets for men and there were toilets for men and women, joint, oh, joint toilets, but there were no separate toilets for women. And I'm thinking, this is the first time I've come across this. This is an example of women being pushed out mm -hmm. of their spaces. And I didn't like that. I don't want to share a bathroom with lots of men. I share one at home with a man, but I don't want to kind of like share one. I want women beyond just kind of like the whole concept of women not even having um, their own bathroom at a cricket ground. Where's the safety in that? You know, it's just a, a, you protest, as you call it, an inversion of truth. That is an excellent way of putting it because suddenly to protest tyranny, as we have been doing for so long now, the last years, you become the tyrant. And that is a perfect inversion of truth. And we have to ask why, why is this being done to us? And why are so many people following it? What has happened? Dumbed down education over the decades, bad nutrition, um, 
children being taught to obey the establishment no matter what being turned into useful idiots to go protesting climate change. The government will say, oh, everybody's protesting climate change. You better implement these terrible policies that impoverish people even more. I mean, it's just yeah. Yeah, a mess. Yeah, I mean, I think we've just kind of bred a society. I think that we're just in that, you know, in that cycle of, you know, strong men create good times, good tra- times create weak men, weak men create bad times, you know, <laughs> bad times create strong men. Like, I think that, I think that that's really true and that the cycle that we're in now is we're in, I think that we're just coming out of the kind of weak men like phase. I think that now we're in the bad times where people actually have to kind of step up again. But I really think that that, that whole idea is really true that it goes in this kind of sick, cyclical way. Um, because yeah, like so many people, they just don't seem to, like we've learned about all of these things. We've learned about the horrors that have happened in the past. And then these things are happening right again, right in front yes. of our very eyes. And people go, oh, well, no, I'm just going to default to whatever the media says. And <laughs> on that note, I actually want to bring something up because I saw, I saw you tweeting about this. And this is something that I've kind of said before, but I get flack from it because, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. So when I make comparisons to, to these kind of things, like, you know, I'm called a racist. But I noticed uh, recently you said this. So someone... I think commented to you and said, everyone imagined they'd have hidden Anne Frank, but after COVID, we now know that most would have closed their doors. Some would have called the police. That's a hard lesson. And most people can't quite face the truth about themselves, which is why they are ashamed and in denial. I think that's a great tweet. And then your response was an astute observation. Like most Jewish children, I had extensive Holocaust education and always wondered why so-called civilized people could easily turn into such monsters. Now I know. Now that is a realization that I have completely had as well. Like during, before COVID, I, I looked at stuff like the, the Holocaust and I always, there was always this, this distance there between me and the, th- the things I was looking at. I was always just like, this just doesn't quite feel real. I just cannot quite understand the mentality of people who can turn on their friends and neighbors and who can think that they're, you know, diseased and, you know, should be eliminated, etc. And then we saw it, you know, and we saw places like um, Austria literally say we're going to have lockdowns for the unvaccinated. It got dangerously, dangerously close to just saying these people, we just have to have a final solution. I mean, I think that people think that I'm being high, you know, uh, it's like hyperbole to talk in these terms, but when you're at the point where you're saying, well, we should just lock people down who haven't taken a medical procedure, why not just say, well, they're, they're no good for society. We'll put them in, you know, Australia was actually building camps. I'm not sure if they yes. used them, but. I mean, it was horrific, horrific. Yeah. I mean, very, very worrying to me uh, from March 2020 and making any uh, comparisons to parallels in history suddenly became forbidden. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, we have the lessons of history for two reasons. You know, one that we learn from them and one that we don't repeat them. I mean, you cannot ever compare uh, what's going on with the Shoah, but you can, you know, the Holocaust, but you can compare what's going on with 1930s Nazi Germany. I wrote a piece um, mm-hmm. in called what I call the New Nazis um, because what they're doing just kind of, it's a... It's a step up from what the Nazis did. And I'm Jewish and a very much a pro-Israel supporter and a Zionist. And as I said in my tweet, and I've said this several times over the last few years, I had extensive Holocaust education. So I could see the parallels, the demonization of others, not only just from growing up under apartheid, but from what I read about and what I was educated on as a child. Um, the demonization of the other, the dehumanization, the fact that looking at humans as these diseased vectors that should be obliterated or marched up to camps, that is what the Nazis did with the Jews. And, you know, they were seen as, you know, 
parasites on society. They were seen as um, unclean mm -hmm. disease vectors. That, that was not the only thing, but Germans and Europe, other Europeans that went along with the whole Nazis were just told to kind of fear the Jews, so they did, and we know what happened. And it wasn't only just Jews. I mean, we have to mention, like, you know, the disabled, what has happened to, what the Nazis did to the disabled, to communists, to to Catholics. I mean, it, it didn't, there's a thing in Judaism that says, what starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. And the Holocaust mm -hmm. showed that it just wasn't Jews. And the whole of Europe was obliterated. You know, this is kind of, uh, and this is why I'm always saying, if, when there's anti-Semitism, you've got to be, you, it's a red flag. It shows things very rotten. I come back to that. But very much so, even for myself, who was steeped in Holocaust education, you still ask yourself, how did a civilized society suddenly turn on their neighbors, on family members, you know, that might have married somebody Jewish? It wasn't just Jews. It was like if you marry somebody Jewish, off to the camps you were you know, how did they, what actually happened? What was the process? And we saw literally living history happening from March 2020. I mean, the things I heard, the, what I saw people say online and to me, the most horrific things, the most dehumanization, but it was horrific is the only way I can describe it. And, it's, and it will be applied to climate change as well. It, it, we can see it happening. Um, the climate change agenda is how I should put it. Um, it's very, very worrying. And we have to look at parallels of 1930s Nazi Germany. We have to look at parallels of apartheid, what happens in police states under oppression, what happens to human beings. These are all warning signs from history. Yeah. And we have to learn from them. We have to listen. And people just wanted to discard it and got really angry for, with me for bringing this up. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, you've got to you've got to look at the signs. I mean, you don't you don't want to wait until it no, gets to no, a serious point. You want you need to look at the signs and say, okay, where are we going? Can we draw any parallels? And if you can, if you say, okay, well, like you said, people are being dehumanized. People are being you know told that they don't have value. You're having different rules for different people depending on you know certain criteria. Like we're not treating everyone equal under the law, etc. At that yeah. point, that's the point where you need to go. Okay, like let's rein this in. Let's like consider. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier in the conversation um, that you thought we were going into a new dark age. I kind of fluctuate between thinking, are we going into a new dark age or are we just about to emerge from one? Um, I, I'm still kind of on the fence about that. I still think that there's a lot of people who just seriously need, you know, a hard lesson in kind of like morality out there. I still think that everything that happened in 2020 indicated to me that, you know, I honestly thought they could have gone all the way with that. Like, I don't think that this the, the turning of the tide for me did not feel like um, it was a, a, a surefire kind of outcome. Like, I'm obviously glad that it happened, but I really thought that we were going to go a lot further down that route. Now, so I don't know. I, I hope that we've kind of, I guess, like just touched on something really dark and now we're kind of on the way up and now we're kind of like relearning, you know, about values like, you know, freedom and all the rest of it. But there is still a part of me that wonders, okay, like, have people really learned this lesson or are we just kind of, you know, dormant until the next kind of psyop really, truly sets in? So interested to know your thoughts on that. I think, um, 
I would have probably leaned towards the latter if the whole Ukraine-Russia thing hadn't happened. And I watched people who hadn't fallen for the COVID climate change propaganda mm. just fall for the ridiculous propaganda in Ukraine. Um, so I'm concerned. I guess maybe I'm a, a pessimist at heart. You know, I'm always, I'm kind of glass half empty kind of woman. Um, maybe because of the stuff I've been writing on for years, it's very dark. Um, but it's also because the stuff I write on, I know the grip that these the indoctrinators have on us, these uh, organizations have on us, and the infiltration into government, and the fact that there's no beacon of democracy left. I think what I've been interested in the last couple of years is watching an awakening, not just about um, the WEF and the Gates Foundation, but also the UN. You know, so many people, you know, movies would show the UN to be the good guy or whatever. You know, people are, for me, I always believe there is hope. I always believe that all regimes topple over. This one will do, will as well. But when will it? You know, I guess what I've tried to do in my writings is just spread a bit of awareness. And I think the more people who are aware, the more people fight back. And that is where uh, we get the hope from. We're at a precipice. You know, the next time they start screaming at us about pandemics or you know, 15-minute cities or climate change agendas so you can't, you know, put your gas electricity on for 10 hours or whatever it is so you freeze at home. What will people do then? You know, how more awake will they be? I mean, one of the most troubling things was, like, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, it's run by Marxists, funded, of course, by, you know, some very dubious organizations like... Uh, Open Society Foundations, George Soros' foundation. At the same time that, you know, these twits were marching through the streets, you know, screaming about whatever. I mean, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist anti-Semitic organization. I've written about that several times. Um, people were like, oh, yay, let them, you know, they're great, etc. At the same time, people were doing a marching against lockdown and everybody's going, uh, these are COVID idiots, you know, why are they marching? They're all going to get sick and die. And these virtually happened more or less at the same time that you had uh, COVID lockdown protests and the Black Lives Matter marches. People cheered on the BLM marches. Uh, the lockdown ones, people were scorned at, oh, they're all going to die from COVID. They're so stupid. And to me, that just, it felt like, it showed to me really the power of propaganda, um, how powerful it is still now, now that people are maybe realizing just what has been done to them. Um, we'll have to see. But I always have hope, despite my pessimistic nature. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I like to end on positive notes. So in terms of, in terms of like having hope, what are you hopeful about? And also like, what are your, what are your visions of the future? I'm hopeful that we get enough people protesting and disobeying laws of oppression. Um, in Judaism, it is actually you are your duty, you're obliged to break laws of oppression. That is, you know, that's what's been driving me the last few years to protest these laws of oppression. Um, and I'm hoping that people really put themselves out there and disobey because there's safety in numbers as well. You know, the more people do this, the more people do that. So I don't know 
I've written what I call my fight back manifesto, which I've put on Substack, where I believe in peaceful protest. I'm not a violent person, you know, I, peaceful protest, disobedience of laws of oppression. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that we can get people to govern us um, who are not corrupt and in the pockets of the GIA or the Gay Foundation or the WEF. And we really need mass disobedience. It's the only way that we're going to get out of this. And people need to be awake. And people need to stop demonizing writers like myself who are showing them what the real, the truth is. I've just used evidence that's right there. I'm not going down some deep, dark rabbit hole. This is stuff from the UN's own website, etc. So, you know, just open your eyes a bit and think about how it's going to not just affect you, but your children and grandchildren. Um, but I have seen so many more people awake now than in 2020 when I first started writing and tweeting about this. It's multitudes more awake. So I have a vision that if enough wake up and enough protest and enough kind of counteract this, maybe we can topple over the indoctrinators and the rest of these bad actors yeah yeah i definitely i definitely think the think that it's possible i think more people are waking up and you know i hope that this kind of train keeps on moving so yeah thanks for all the work you're doing with the conservative woman and all the writing you're doing and the research and stuff like every kind of voice we have in this is like just super important so keep keep up what you're doing and what everyone over there at conservative woman's doing if you want to just uh let people know where they can find you where they can find your writing your twitter and all the rest of it and also just any final parting words that you have for my listeners too Okay, so um, I'm, if, if they look up conservative women and put my name in, Karen Haradine, you'll see my writings with that. Um, they'll see all my writings for TCW on that. Um, they can follow me on Twitter, KarenH777. Um, if you just write my name into Google, my stuff comes up anyway, um, including if you just do Karen Haradine's uh, substack, that will come up too. Um, so as, as well as hopefully my Twitter, my Twitter handle is both on my Substack account and on all my TCW pieces. Um, I would say that never lose hope, you know, just keep fighting, keep resisting. That's often what I say on my tweets, keep resisting, keep resisting our monstrous overlords, you know, and also don't let them suck the joy and meaning out of your life. You know, just that is one way that you can protest this. Don't let them do that to you. Once joy and meaning go, then, then you are dehumanized. So carry on with your joy and meaning and basically keep resisting in every way you can. <laughs> and thank you for having me on, Johnny. It's been an honor to be on your podcast and it's been lovely to talk about my work like this. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no worries at all. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, great, great parting message. So uh, thanks a lot, Karen. <laughs>